0: what is up conscious monkeys welcome back to another episode of traveling to consciousness as always i am your host clanky terry and in this new updated odyssey number 085, we have the amazing dashima gordon now if you've never heard of dashima she's an author a speaker and a founder of flow state institute and bright future foundation for over 18 years she has been leading the global awareness of yoga And as a powerful path for her life transformation, she's been sharing it with other people. She's impacted over 100 million people online with her message, her healing through her YouTube channel, through speaking at conferences. She's a leader in the field of positive psychology, yoga and holistic health. She spoke at the United Nations for International Day of Happiness, and in 2019, she was inducted into the Stanford Happiness Hall of Fame. I didn't even know that was a thing, but that's pretty cool. Her work with Harvard researcher Dr. Satbir Kasha led to flow state research to help people in corporate settings improve health, creativity, productivity, and life satisfaction. She's now spearheading health and trauma with veterans which is so beautiful we talk about it a little bit in this podcast school teachers children's families science-backed yoga meditation she does quite frankly all of it guys it's uh she's a pretty powerful individual and she is very articulate and you can tell that she's been speaking on these things for a very long time because as you'll see in our podcast she is well all that <laughs> well articulate she goes into these things in very. in deep level, and really just overall an amazing person to listen to, to understand. She dives into her background, her family, her upbringing, and we get all the way into merging our consciousness with the one, the one all-pervading consciousness, God, if you will, source, if you will, whatever the word is or name that you wish to give to the one source. Consciousness. We talk about that towards the end, which will be in part two. So right now you're listening to part one and then releasing later this week or next week, we will be getting into part two. So hopefully you enjoy this and without further delay, allow me to introduce you to Doshima Gordon. Traveling to Consciousness. Exploring spiritual journeys to find answers in uncertainty.
1: Yeah, I was just thinking about that today because I'm working with the military and the Department of Defense and stuff. And I was like, it's interesting because even though I didn't have a military f- parents, but I feel like I lived that lifestyle of like moving a lot. We can talk more about that if you want. But anyway, it's just interesting because I'm so comfortable. Just I'm always in a different place. I feel like <laughs> no one ever knows where I live.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think I was listening to one podcast you were in Hawaii and then yeah you're right you texted me you were in San Francisco and I guess you're still there yeah so what but what was it about your I know you're pretty open about your childhood and everything so what was it about your childhood that made you feel like you were in a military-esque environment
1: <laughs> well it was actually the opposite of most military except for the one part that's similar was a lot of PTSD and traveling a lot, like those are the common parts. <laughs> and then the rest was totally the opposite.
0: <laughs> all the like, unfortunate stuff. My parents stuff. were
1: both hippies, and and um, but my grandpa, both of my grandfathers were in the military. They were both in the war, World War II, My grandfathers, and then, but my parents were like the typical. I think that generation like really rebelled against all conformity. I mean, there was two camps, right? It was like in my parents' generation, it was like the baby boomers, the camp A really conformed and they went with like societal norm life, right? And whatever that was, like suburban suburbia and this kind of uh, bucked the hallucin, the psychedelic movement it, you know, like where everybody kind of got into trying LSD and, and all this different alternative consciousness, options and then there was the other side when my fit my parents were both more on the counterculture they used to call it which is basically like fully woodstock like into psychedelics tantra nudity um it was just like my parents were on the extreme on that side they were like Mm. when we were kids we um my my parents first of all um two of my sisters were born in hawaii and then they moved back to the mainland and i was born I think I was conceived in Hawaii but I was born in South Dakota in the Black Hills so I was born like around a lot of that Native American energy and then and then they moved to California and my little and they and they bought this like school bus and they turned it into an RV and they lived in it and my little sister was born in the school bus in Humboldt County basically and wow. they used to live there for like uh, a few years. And then my mother started getting cold a lot. And so they, they decided to make it a, like a traveling, you know, that was before van life, but they were like the OG van life energy, except for they had a school bus and they had turned it into a home for us. And then we traveled around and then they ended up trying to go South cause she was cold. So they ended up in Florida and it was funny because they actually ran out of money. So they just like bought this piece of land in North Florida. And that's where we lived when I was young. And it was going along pretty well. And it's funny because they grew, like, I would say, like, a half an acre of marijuana, right? This was before it was legal. But, like, back then, you know, they were always ahead of the, you know, the time or whatever. And they were, you know, that was, like, a big part of the – they saw it as medicine, I'm pretty sure. So my mother, she was an architect. She built our home. Uh, My mom and dad built built this really cool octagonal house on stilts with all glass. It was basically the kind of dream home that like you'd see on Pinterest now, like this six-sided glass house in the forest. Um, But anyway, so they were like super cool. But then when I was seven, my mother lost her mind. She was combining cocaine, peyote, and alcohol. And that's not a mix you want to do. Like chemicals do not, with the brain, it's not a good idea. And a lot of people, I think even in today's age, do not understand, you know, the potential downside or like the, you know, where it could go if if you don't be careful in terms of mixing things. Anyway, she lost her mind when I was seven. She became schizophrenic. And so we ended up in foster care. So that was like when I was seven. So it was kind of like we went from this like very free, you know, living in the nature, like having this organic lifestyle. And we even my parents taught us yoga and like really cool, very open minded, spiritual family. And then everything changed after that. And we ended up living with strangers and moving around. And I moved like every few months for like years. And so that's where I feel like it got into what I was calling like similar to militaries because th- we we share that commonality, like moving all the time. Because people that didn't move a lot, I don't think they understand how difficult that is. You, you never develop a strong sense of root and this identity with any one group, you know, because you always know you're probably going to be moving soon. So you're like, okay, well, whatever. So I always made friends easily, but I knew I wasn't going to stay probably in my mind. So I just kind of like, was very non-attached in certain ways and uh, it's interesting because i'm a cancer and the t- and it's the opposite of my nature which is to like want to hold on to things so it was like mm. the universe was always teaching me to let go uh my whole life and it's interesting because that was such a blessing now that i look back because i had to let go of my parents i had to let go of my home i had to let go of my friends i always had to let go of everything all the time and um, i had so much trauma and different things happened to me but it's interesting. So later in life, I developed my school, which is called Flow State Institute. And and I look back and I think what a blessing it was, because all of that intense, like I can consider it like a training, like a boot camp or something like of life, like forcing me to learn the thing that was the opposite of my nature uh, was so interesting. It led me to understand flow state in such a powerful way that I made my whole life around it because I was like, wow, like actually learning to let go all the time it helped me in this fundamental way like on a consciousness level to understand infinite existence because there is no holding on in that realm you know so you know and it's now i see on youtube and so everybody makes these videos let go and they're like trying to teach people with words how to let go and i don't know if it's something you can necessarily teach someone with words in a in a sense where I learned it through experience. It's an experiential energy to learn to like truly let go and to not be attached to anything, whether it's things or people or like a location or a home or even your own family and even an identity of who you think you are. And it's like there's so many layers to that. But anyway, so that's part of it. And the PTSD was the other thing with the military tie that I feel really bonded with because you know, they grow up and they see the most atrocious things in the military, people killing each other, they have to like learn how to kill people. And it's like, and then the family of those people have to learn how to like, relate to that. And normal civilians or whatever people in the world, you know, they have just like such a different experience of life, like, but I had witnessed a lot of really difficult things, you know, because my mother, when she lost her mind, she went into this experience for 20 years, where she she absolutely like destroyed herself she became homeless even though she had a home she chose to wander the world so i got a new perspective on like homeless people and like how the fact is it's a mental health issue it has nothing to do with poverty she had a home and she had family so people have misconception around a lot of things in the world. And that's another thing with the military people, because the military, a lot of times they end up homeless and, you know, and it has nothing to do with not having money. There's a lot of money available for the veterans, but their mental health is the reason that they end up homeless. So I ended up over this lifetime of the work that I'm doing over 18 years, I learned, wow, I I can help so many people (laughs) because I have been through it.
0: (laughs) I love that. I love that before I, there's so much to dive in there and I'm very excited to dive into it. We got a lot to explore. Uh, before we pick that apart, it sounds like your mail might be open. Are you able to close that out? Cause I'm picking up like, uh, like the pings.
1: Oh yeah, I know. You know what? I don't even have the mail open, but it just does that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh
0: really? Um, I don't know
1: how to shut it off, but if you know how
0: <laughs> I can it's like
1: everything does that. Like my, my WhatsApp, my this, little things do that. But I turned off see. my phone, but I don't
0: know. Let me see if we can go to like a notification center. I'm assuming you're on a Mac. Oh,
1: yeah. yeah, I'm on Mac if there's a setting i'll just do it but i don't know how so i always just like ignore it <laughs>
0: i was listening to one podcast you were doing and every like 30 seconds there was a ping going off and i was like <laughs> okay, i was like i wonder if this is dashima or the other person I then...
1: it because i don't know that i mean i know technology but some of these little things like the pings i'm like whatever it's funny know. too because i i'm here with my sister and her baby and um her baby's always making all these noises and i just got so good at tuning it out <laughs> <laughs> she falls dressed about it, I'm like, I don't even hear her anymore. <laughs> and, then I, and then I realized, well, someone probably does. <laughs>
0: it's great for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, let me see here. Let's allow notifications. Let's turn off uh, how to mute notifications. Oh, maybe there's like a, can, do you have a do not disturb? Yeah, let's do that. Can you uh, search do not disturb? On, yeah. um, blah, blah, blah. just on the computer yeah I'm trying to think here yeah if you go um you can type in notifications and focus
1: is it do not disturb or notification oh
0: well it's going to be under notifications and focus oh, okay. All right. and this is great for anyone else who might have notifications that they don't want if you have a MacBook, go to Notifications of Focus.
1: <laughs> okay. Then what do you go to?
0: And then click on the Focus tab at the top. Okay. And then click disturb. on Do Not. Yeah. And then just flick that on.
1: Okay,
0: Cool.
1: Right, cool. Okay, it's on.
0: Cool. Now we should be good to dive into your story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I you're think? moving around. You, yeah. You got this new perspective on mental illness, and I'm sure from a bunch of different perspectives because like you're saying you're 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 seeing what it's like to be homeless or I guess at least with a van and then you even had kind of that episode with your mother where she found herself experimenting with all these different chemicals at the same time and so you I guess in your mind then you see that mental health is very tied to I guess, I guess money in general. I mean, is it, is it money that we end up homeless or is there no. like, so, what what, so what's Maybe that tie there? Okay. <laughs> so then what's that tie there? I'm missing something.
1: There's a couple of reasons why people become homeless. I mean, I'm not going to say they're all the same, but for her, she had money and she had a home and she had family. So that is why I'm saying it, it had nothing to do with not having a home or, you know, money. She had all that. And she chose to be homeless. So there was a couple layers. I'll give you the the big story. This is a deep story. I mean, this is like, it took me my whole life to heal from this. Now, when you hear me saying the story with a smile and laughing, that's a good sign. It shows that I actually healed it because there was a point when I would tell the story, I would want to cry. And in fact, it was very recently, like only the last few years where I got to a point where I had fully healed it and let it go because there was a point where just thinking of my mother made me cry my whole life because she was like the deepest pain of my whole life because you know it's hard to paint the picture for anybody who had like a normal mother but like your mother and it's interesting because today is a, actually yesterday was a cancer full moon or a new moon and my son is in cancer so the double double cancer and the energy of the cancer energy is the energy of the mother and I don't know people who know about astrology, but the divine energy, like the, the mother, the nurturing, that's like my true nature. And then it's like amplified. But also your relationship to your mother is under the umbrella of this astrological sign, Cancer. So I'm a cancer, my sister's a cancer. So we're like very but like most people don't understand Cancerians because they they're like, oh, you're so sensitive. But they're the most sensitive, but also like really like a whole nother level of understanding of like this mother energy. But anyway, so My mother was my biggest pain of my soul. Like my heart, she she, you know, because we were so close when I was little, like very close. And we had this soul bond that was very, you know, I'm spiritual, she's spiritual. So it was hard for anyone else to understand our connection, but it was deep. And then everybody has a deep relationship to their mother, but mine felt like, like deeper than my other sisters had with her. Even, you know, I have three sisters. Long story short, she, um, I believe later I looked back and I saw that she and I had a contract that we made this agreement before I was born that she would choose this role. And actually, it's interesting because her name was Kristen. So the root of her name is Christ. And I felt there was a knowing because she grew up Christian then she ended up Rastafari. She was like, you know, she had dreads and everything. But anyway, so she she had such trauma in her lineage. Um, she was given up because her mother had her when she was 14. And she got given up for adoption. She ended up adopted. And she got, um, she had so much trauma. Like her mother, her father died in front of her. Her, her adopted father when wow. she was 12 they were going to get the Christmas tree and he just had a heart attack and died in front of her and she had already been adopted. So she had already this wound. And then later she ended up with all this layers of trauma. She had a baby, the baby, the doctor killed the baby as he was delivering the child. And he pulled the umbilical cord instead of the leg and the baby died inside of her as she was giving birth. So there was like layers and layers to, to the trauma that she experienced that she carried forth to the moment of my birth. And there was an interesting thing that came to me one time I was doing ayahuasca ceremony in Maui. And I had this deep, like, I mean, I cried for hours about this, but it was like a deep realization. I I saw her and I and our literally like soul contract before I was choosing to even be born through her, that she would sacrifice her life so that I could teach the world about mental health through experience like through this level experience that nobody hardly gets to understand. And it was so deep, like the level, right? Because there wasn't just the mental health and the, and the drug addiction and the alcohol addiction. But then there was like, she ended up getting raped a lot. When I was in um, middle school and I was in foster care, she would call me cause we were like still best friends, even though we didn't. And, and she would tell me that these guys raped her. Cause she was in like crack town You know, when you have addiction, you find yourself in these horrible, dangerous places. She went to like this crack town to get some crack and because she couldn't afford cocaine anymore and horrible things would happen. And she would tell me, not realizing that when you tell a 12 year old or a 10 year old about this type of trauma, it's actually traumatizing your child. Because then I was getting exposed to like this feeling of like, oh, sex is not safe or men are not safe and like layers and layers and layers of all the things that I had to unlearn later or deprogram or heal or however you want to call that. But like that she was like teaching me. I'll just say it like that. It was like teaching me, but like it took a long time to understand this like teaching, you know, because I just carried it because I was so sensitive. So I carried this feeling like men are not safe. Then I ended up attracting, I lost my virginity to rape. And I, it was the most, I would say it's some worse most horrible thing anybody could ever experience worse than dying is to be raped. Because if you get raped as a woman, you have to still live after that. But you don't ever feel safe. And there's this deep feeling of worthlessness that happens after that where you're like, wow, I'm not even worth anything. Like, it took me so long to heal that. And so it was only recently in the last little couple years that I went through this healing journey in India, and actually I saw that the root of all of that was coming from my ancestors. That was like thousands of years in Egypt. My Jewish ancestry had been, all of them had been slaves in Egypt because, you know, the Jewish people got, they were enslaved. And then long story short, when everybody's a slave, all the women get raped in slavery. Like that's a part of like everybody knows that's what happens there. So that was the root of the lineage of like this ancestral trauma that my mother and and her mother, because she her mother had her at 14, she also had that. And then she and then myself. And it was like this ancestral trauma that had been passed down through lifetimes of generations. And I couldn't understand. It took my whole life to understand like the root of this horrific, like violation of your soul and your physical. And it finally all came together recently when i was in india and i had this like tremendous like unbelievable understanding it downloaded so clearly the vision of why and like and then i literally saw all my ancestors healed and they all ascended and they all were like sending love and blessings to the whole world and it was like this completion of like literally like ten thousand lifetimes of this horrific lineage of not just for myself i mean millions and millions probably billions of people in this ancestral soul group who have carried this you know for thousands of years especially the women and it got me really empowered in a way because I realized I got to help people with this like it's not something I can keep to myself like oh yeah I'm so glad that's over like it's too big and so I've been trying to figure out how to really help people with this understanding and then so I started working more with the you know, I've always worked with the military and the veterans and stuff, but like started really focusing more on that because I realized that's a group that has this, their soul mm-hmm. group has also this, which is a lot of them also have violence, sexual uh, assault, whatever, like PTSD is the biggest thing that they all have in common. And I thought how interesting. And I also have like this military family, even though my grandparents, it was my grandfather's not my, my direct father. Uh, in the military, but I started to see, cause I was always trying to find like, I'm such a spiritual person. I tend to gravitate to all these spiritual people. And then I'm like, but they didn't necessarily all understand the depth of this pain that I had went through or the trauma that I had overcome or like the understanding of the wisdom that I've gained from all that. And I've always been trying to find like, who could get me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like so deep. And everybody always thought like, I was this Jewish American princess? Because I look really like normal. And then I was like, how can I communicate the depth of this? (laughs) It's, it's it's not easy to, I'm still trying to find the words really, but anyway, that's a little bit of a deep exploration and a part of that story.
0: No, I love the deep exploration. I love the deep, like depth that you went to there. So thank you for going there again, (laughs) a lot to unpack, (laughs)
1: Um,
0: (laughs) but I'm really interested in the Moment, it sounded like the most powerful moment in there was when you were in India and you had this vision or this situation where you saw generations of maybe past women or past spirits that have experienced this traumatic tension. And I know there's a lot of talking about healing generational trauma and, you know, that's kind of what we're doing and whatnot. But can you walk me through that? that moment like how was this induced was this like a culmination of you working through your own trauma were you sober when this happened like what how like what happened there
1: yeah thank you well it was actually like i said there was a i would say it was a culmination of 18 years of spiritual healing and work i mean everything from 200 ayahuasca ceremonies to like you know practicing yoga and meditation and kundalini kriyas every day for 18 years but it got me to this point where I was guided and I've been working with the Oneness Temple in India. So there's this really phenomenal place that I recommend everybody. Actually, I I started to partner with them now and I send my advanced uh, yoga teacher training students to go there because it's just so profound. It combines everything that I've always believed and practiced and taught but like it's done so next level that I'm like I'll leave that to them like they're they got a machine going with this it's so good they have this huge like hundred million dollar white marble temple in India and then it's all based on like the sacred geometry Fibonacci it's aligned with all nine planets it's like so dialed in to like a vortex and then they can fit like thousands of people there at once like Accommodating them all, and you can have this like heal, huge group uh, come together and heal. And they do this like profound experience where you do like every morning, it's like 4 a.m. meditation, Kriyas, yoga, breath work, like constantly ceremonies, puja, mantra, like all these things all day long, every day for between two weeks to four weeks. So I went for just two weeks, but anyway, so. It was, it was powerful because I just knew that my soul was ready for this. I had been doing a number of other things leading up to that because they also do like, a, they do a two, no, a four-day thing in the US. You can do the four-day thing. It's called FOA, Field of Awakening. And they have one coming up in LA in September. But, um and then they do the longer stuff in India. But anyway, so I had done the FOA. It was very healing. It brought me into this awareness that there was even more to look at in my ancestral healing. I've been doing a lot of ancestral healing for many years, but This brought me to this awareness that there was there was some very specific things that I could access. And I felt like it was I needed extra help to get there. I'll just say that because it's harder to get there on your own, like a lot of, you know, teachers and healers and masters, you know, it's like to heal other people is actually easier because you can see them from a different perspective. But like to go into your own self, sometimes it's really nice to just be in the receiving position of like allowing somebody to guide you through that. So that's what happened. And I went to India and it was interesting because I was just ready. I had gone through a series of very difficult things that led me to be totally ready. And and I had just taught because I, I, I have a school and I certify yoga teachers. So I was leading one of my yoga training retreats in Bali. And then I went straight from there directly to India and I just went. And on day two, I did this Kriya and it like activated this deep healing portal that I mean, it was more powerful than any plant medicine I've ever done. It was like literally, it just opened this portal of vision and seeing like literally, like I said, like millions of these ancestors in my lineage in Egypt. What's that?
0: And you're sober for this?
1: Everything's sober. Yeah. You're just doing yoga and Kriyas. You know what Kriyas are, right?
0: Yeah. I'm just... Yeah. verifying. So
1: just so yeah you're just doing your kriya <laughs> <Reasoning> <laughs> and like moving yourself around casually
0: in the doing very, kriya repetitive
1: <laughs> way, like but it was like you know you had to do it 4 a 4 a.m it was very early you have to do very specific but anyway so doing this kriya and then all of a sudden it just activated this vision of like these millions of ancestors because i had been really trying to understand how to get to the root of this like i said this rape trauma that had come through my lineage and it had affected my entire life in every way. Like nobody can understand that unless you've been through it. But it was so deep that I was like, how do I get to that? Like not even ayahuasca could get me to it. It was just like deeper than anything you could ever access with anything that I had done before. And so, and I had gotten on the periphery, but I had never gotten to the core of it. So I went there and then, so it showed me, you know, it's interesting too, because I had went to, I've been to Egypt and, um actually my, my uh, ancestry, when I did like the ancestry DNA test, I have 50% of my lineage is from what they call Ashkenazi Jewish. So this is the lineage of Jesus. And it's, a, it's called the tribe of Judah, you know, and they, but these were the very specific people that were like slaves in Egypt. And like those people, like Jesus's ancestry was the slaves of Egypt. They left, they all left, and then they went to Israel. So that was like the whole story. But basically, so I came from this lineage of the ancestry of Jesus, but basically they were all slaves in Egypt. And then, you know, they had all this trauma of like the people raping the women. And, but in the vision that I saw, they all became liberated. So they just literally like, you know, if you can just imagine, like, (laughs) you know, like on the last day of school and they're like, school's out, summer's here. Like that energy of like, yay, all the kids are stoked. Like this feeling of all the souls got liberated. Meaning they had been in this prison of pain for however long, millions of years, I don't know, thousands. And they had been in this pain of like, why me? And like, why um, did we all have to go through this? Like, what did we do? <laughs> kind of like, You know, because if you look at it, like, what could they have done, you know, like to all deserve that, right? And you try to like, rationalize it with like, philosophies of karma or anything. And it just makes no sense you know, you're like, there's no chance that these millions of people all just were so terrible in a past life, they all deserve to be raped and imprisoned for a whole generation, you know, and it just made no sense from the rational level. And I was just perplexed and horrified by this for so long. So I was like, how do you find the understanding? And then I started to doubt karma because it made no sense, you know, and I started to be like, why does anything happen, you know, to good people? And so when I was at the Oneness Temple, their whole teaching, the first week, is about what they call um, you know, the ego. So there's the two the week one is the ego, second one is the the mind. And the ego is interesting because there's six levels of the ego that they teach about. One of the levels, okay, so the first five, I didn't feel there was any resonance. I was like, yeah, I don't really have an ego. The world has really sh- sh- helped me to let that go in all the ways that it can do. But there was one piece that was there my whole life, and I never understood. They call it the passive ego. The passive ego is actually the ego that we'll call it the victim. So the ego that feels like why do bad things keep happening to me and like that the perpetuation of it because of this feeling, right? So the feeling is all these bad things keep happening to me. And they're as a result of that, because of the universal law of attraction, like then you keep having more bad things happening to you. And even though you're like a good person, and you're like, why, you know, and it's like this, you know, nice person thing, like, you know, a lot of times, like, nice people are treated badly, right? So it's like, it's not that they deserve it. But they're actually creating it on such a level, because there's an energy around this, why me feeling that keeps perpetuating it. And so this was called the the, the passive victim ego. So I hadn't realized I was carrying it, because I never saw myself as a victim. But I didn't realize I had been carrying this energy And this was the energy that had attracted this for this entire lineage of my ancestry, which was this like, why me? But I think before that, the reason that they ended up like if you're going to look at it from a karma perspective, perhaps the only way I could think of it is because a lot of Jewish people had believed that they were the chosen people. Right. Mm -hmm. You see this in the Torah. The chosen ones, and nobody wants to feel like if you're the chosen one, what am I? You know, so it like created this rift, and it was like the anti oneness, right? Mm-hmm. It was like okay, if you're the chosen, that means I'm not the chosen, and then all of a sudden, like I'm less than you, or something. You're the favor of God, and I'm just what chopped liver over here. So it created a rift between the Jewish tribe and the rest of the people because they were all like, well, we don't even want to hear that, and so they ended up enslaving them and then later Hitler did it and like they just had like many of these throughout history lessons that they had to go through in order to I don't know if if the if the ancestry of Jewish has really ever learned it fully but like this lesson of like you know we're all one so there's no chance that like there's one group that's the chosen ones because we're all one but because of the way that that whole thing played out throughout history then they felt victim because they were like, we're, we're, you know, we're such good people. Why do we keep getting enslaved or raped or, you know, killed in, you know, the Holocaust or any of these horrible atrocities that have happened to the Jewish people and the anti-Semitism? But the the core of it came from this, this rift that was created from like them somehow declaring that they were the chosen ones. And it created this like huge ancestral, like continual experience of different types of trauma And so anyway, this all revealed itself day two (laughs) of the thing. And I was just like, oh, my God. And then I got so sick and I got this respiratory infection. And that night I was so ill and and I couldn't sleep because I'd cried the whole day. I couldn't sleep. And my whole body was in so much pain of like, I felt what it must feel like when somebody kills themselves because they're in so much pain, they just want to end the pain. And they're like, I got to get out of this pain. Like you can't get away from yourself and it's in you. And it was in my bones. It was in every cell, just pain. And I was like, couldn't sleep, but I'm like in pain. and I couldn't even breathe my way through it. And I was like, experienced that that night. And then the next day I couldn't even hardly walk. And I got up and they took me to the doctor and I ended up getting, Medicine and stuff, and but I was sick for most of the trip, but um, it was nice because that week it kind of um, they have a really good like progression, and so by like the end of the week we did this ceremony. It was like a puja ceremony where they do like a fire and they do all these chants, and then they like and you you literally, I envisioned that was when I envisioned all the ancestors like ascending and and like fully like becoming liberated from this story of that from the energy of that and then and then the final stage of the evolution of a soul was that they learned the lesson they gained the wisdom and then they were sending love and and healing and, and gratitude to all of humanity from this like higher realm and so that was like the journey that I went through and this was like in February so anyway it was just recently but it, <laughs> it gave me a realization that I feel like I got to tell more people about this
0: now, it's it's very fascinating. I mean, the, the two things that you brought up there that really are sticking out to me is the the passive, I forget exactly how you word it, but the passive ego. And then even like, this idea, yeah. the passive victim ego. And then the other idea is like this, I guess the corollary of it or like the karmic, whatever you want to call it, the polarity of it, of like this denoting yourself as the chosen one. which which is interesting because that would invoke that division and it's interesting because that that very much could come from that same place of ego of oh like you know we are the righteous ones and you guys would be below us how did like did all this information kind of come to you intuitively was it like in that vision you saw or what like how how do you know this how did you come across this
1: there was a few lines. Well, first of all, I've been working to this, like I said, for 18 years, I've been teaching, learning, studying, healing on this journey um, very intently for 18 years. But before that, I was always even as a kid, like I said, because my parents were like, I mean, they were the OG, like don't do vaccine, you know, people. So like, you know, they were like really ahead of the curve on many things. But um, yeah. So I kind of had been developing this towards, but but the actual exact thing that you're saying happened there in India. So they teach that part about the six types of ego. And for me, I had a deep knowing. I'm a very intuitive, like I so said, that's why I started talking about like cancer and like the uh, intuitive side of just who I am. I'm just like extraordinarily intuitive. So I could feel immediately when I heard about this passive victim ego that was the reason that was the only one that I could identify with the rest of the ego imbalances that they described. I was like, I don't have that. I don't have that like aggression, anger. Like there are different ways that ego shows up that ruins your life. (laughs) And it wasn't doing that with a lot of those. I wasn't, I'm not an angry person. I'm not a violent person. I'm not jealous, you know, all these things. Um, I don't have it so but I mean maybe I had little pieces of it but I've worked through it but this was the one that I was like that's the thing because it was like it's also tied to that like people pleasing or like I try to be nice or any of those energies are coming from this passive victim ego which is like I don't want people to not like me so I'm going to do this or this to like please everyone and even if it's at my own detriment and then you know and then you see how that plays out But I agree with you, the Jewish people specifically had this other one, (laughs) perhaps throughout history, which is not passive victim ego. it, It includes that, but it was more of a superiority complex somehow that they were expressing through their feeling that they're the chosen. And then that had created this many, many years, thousands of years, however you want to say it, of violence, oppression, um, and all sorts of imprisonments and things that was specifically designed by the creator to teach these lessons. You know, you, like, you try to rationalize, well, why does an entire soul group need to go through this, like, atrocity? You know, you look at even Ukraine right now. Like, my friend, he has a huge charity. He's working a lot with Ukraine. You see this huge soul group of Ukraine. And they're all in it together. They're all in this war. Why do they all need to go through this? I'm not going to go into that too much right now. But basically the idea that a soul group needs to learn a specific lesson. It's like the the teaching of their soul. Everybody's soul is actually like on the same trajectory, right? All leading back to the source. So, but like if a soul group or even an individual, it could be anything like whatever, but I'm just looking at groups right now because we're talking about ancestry. But if a soul group needs to learn a very specific lesson in order to like, we'll say graduate to that next level of like wisdom and uh, soul evolution that they'll choose to do it together for whatever reason, you know, it's like a whole thing. And so then this was one of the big lessons that this specific soul group of my ancestry needed to learn, which was the ego part, right. To like, not feel like the super- superiority, like I am the gift of God. And if I am, you are too. That's the only thing. Like, I am and you are too, instead of I am, but you're not. <laughs> like, that is the problem. The I am, but you're not. Because that's the division and the and the separation. So, like, the unity or the oneness consciousness is I am and you are too. And that's the evolution of the I am and you're not <laughs> energy of, like, being chosen by God. We all are. So, that's my understanding. Like, the knowing that I have is not that, we aren't but we all are instead of i am but you're not so that's the part they needed to learn i guess but or we all need to learn but that that was a very specific school of life that they had to learn it through like a very difficult Mm -hmm. challenging way of learning that i hope that it's fully integrated or learning at this point because nobody wants to go through that kind of stuff again And as you can see with Ukraine, it's very possible, even in today's day and age, that a whole soul group will have to go through something big again or at this stage because there needs to be some lessons, who knows what. But basically, it's strengthening the soul and it's teaching the wisdom and it's bringing all the beings closer to God. So that's what these adversity situations are always doing. And so, but the knowing of that was just downloaded so distinct. I mean, it was, there wasn't even like a question, you know, it wasn't like... I wonder what this is meaning. <laughs> I was like, okay, I get it. And then the, the I'm very visual and I get like very distinct messages from spirit. So it's like, this is the meaning. This is why you're here. Like, But then I'm very good at allowing the energy to process. So it's just like this deep integration portal where it was like probably one of the first times I've ever been in a group of that size because there's like 500 people from around the world, all doing this together. And I'm just crying openly all day, every day around these people. And they were so sweet and helping me because I'm usually the leader and I'm usually the teacher and I'm usually, you know, the one that's being strong holding space for everybody else. So in that situation, it was more like, it was really refreshing to just feel the support of the tribe in that way. Like, and, um, I've done that before in different settings, but this was probably the, one of the biggest ones that I ever did in that way. But um, yeah, it was just so clear. So there wasn't like any doubt or, you know, it just was obvious to me.
0: It really resonated with you. Yeah. And what, so like even in the context of all this, that we're talking about it, we're talking about some pretty horrific things from slavery to mass raping to even just present day like wars. And it sounds like you've gotten to the point where you see it as, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but almost as there are lessons within these things to learn. How, how did you make this pivot or, cause I feel like it's maybe more common to view these things as like, they're terrible events that should never happen. These are terrible. We should never put up for it. There's no reason for it. Like what, Like, where is it that you made a pivot maybe in your life to view these things more as lessons as opposed to horrific events that should just never happen?
1: Well, there's a knowing about evolution, right? That I think there's a saying that goes, blue skies never make the strong sailor. Have you heard that?
0: not that one specifically. No. Okay.
1: So, it's it's the idea that you're not going to reach your full potential with the easy path. You know, if you're just sitting in the comfort zone and everything's good, you're going to be just where you are. Like there's not a lot of growth there, right? So, growth happens through adversity. Like one of my favorite metaphors for that is the lotus flower, right? the lotus flower bulb, which is the seed of the flower, they actually put that in this murky pond, right? It's this mud pond with a lot of worms and gross stuff in there. You can't even see because it's brown, but they put the, the bulb in there and it could take months or even years before anything is visible above the water. So within that environment, all of the growth happens. That's when the bulb transforms and alchemizes into what later blossoms to become the most pristine, beautiful flower in the whole world. Like this white, magnificent lotus flower. They have pink ones or, you know, there's blue ones as well. But the lotus is so beautiful when it finally comes above the waterline. But everything that's happening below the waterline is that mud. It's like, the mud is what makes it it purifies it to a point where it becomes this pristine and it and it's actually the symbol of consciousness so the lotus is a symbol of consciousness and when they talk about the awakening of consciousness and in yoga they talk about the you know the petals of the of the lotus so the first chakra is four petals and then the second one is six and and it, they go more and more but it's it's like The crown chakra is a million petals or a thousand petals. And so it's showing like the more petals, the more blossoming, the, you know, the higher consciousness. And so you can't get to that highest consciousness through the easy way. If that bulb just sat in the sunshine, it would die. Actually, it would never germinate and it would never become the potential that it has. Right. And we all can see the potential when we see it blossom. And it's so beautiful. And it brings so much joy to the world to see this magic. But most people don't really know the backstory of how it got there. They just see the end result. So in, even in you see people who are like Sri Avishenka or a saint, somebody who has purified their soul to an extent where they're just living on earth to bring health and happiness and healing to the world. And most people never question how did that soul become that? When there's souls on earth like Hitler or Putin or something where they came on earth to kill people and make the world, uh, you know, chaotic in their own rational reasonings. But basically, what makes a soul evolve to a point where they realize that they are here to be an expression of God on earth? And the only way I feel to purify on that level over lifetimes and lifetimes is to go through the fire, right? Through in the alchemy. Uh, you know, that's how you get to the next level. So, if you think about a piece of metal, uh, steel, or however, and then they put it in the fire and then it transmutes and becomes alchemized into gold, or like a diamond, which is coal, pressurized over millions of years, becomes the, the hardest and most pristine, like most expensive and valuable n- natural stone on the earth, right? So, there's these ways that we alchemize one thing to become something totally different. And the only way that ever happens is through this process of alchemy, which is always through difficulty. It's never through the easy road. You can't just put a piece of coal like in the sunshine and it becomes a diamond. No, you got to put pressure on it over millions of years. And that's how it purifies and becomes that beauty and that clarity and that Godliness. So it's just like that with the souls. So the souls have to go through this journey from like very beginning, the origin of soul, which is like baby soul, hey, I'm just a little expression of God. And then all of a sudden, forged through the difficulties, through these adversities, through the learning lessons, through the wisdom growth opportunities over maybe thousands of lifetimes or whatever, that it becomes forged to become the purified expression of God on earth, or, you know, maybe in other planets, I don't know. But anyway, but basically in this, in this, we're talking about on earth. And that's how I see it. So instead of seeing it like these atrocities, although they are right, there's like the level of mind that can process what happens in the earth plane. And we have to put it into a category, good or bad. Because that's how we process information. That's how we make decisions. That's how we choose how to be more pure or more vile. That's how we make certain decisions on this plane of of existence. But when we go outside of that into the higher realms, where the existence is pure consciousness, and then we can't see any of this right or wrong, we see it as okay, what is it? What is the intention behind this energy? And if you see it that way, you say, "Wow, well, okay." So this mass soul group lesson that's happening—that's difficult. This challenge is forging them to become closer to God, more purified, more God-like, more uh, in the divine nature. And and it's like the same thing—that pressure of the of the coal into the diamond—it's happening on the soul. And it, and it, the ones that learn the lesson rise up and I really believe that could be why (laughs) this is just my own opinion but could be why half of the richest people on the earth are all Jewish now even though the the proportion of Jewish people is very small in comparison to the total population on earth but they're the richest people and they tend to be the most powerful and have the most you know uh, you know they've just done so many things and it's interesting to see because people be like oh these Jewish people why do they have all the money I don't think it's about the money. I think that those souls evolve to a point where they learn certain lessons and codes, especially the my friends and even in my family, people that are truly living in alignment with the Kabbalah or the Zohar, the principles of her, um, the sacred geometry of life, that there is an element of alignment with God's. Directions of <laughs> God's like guidance that if you get into that alignment, then you can have access to like this godly amount of wealth. And the people that I know that live in that way um, have that amount of wealth. And then people that don't uh, understand those realms, you know, th- then they're not. So it's like I can even see how it translated over these thousands of years to some of them becoming all powerful, like on the levels that they are. And, and it's interesting to see. So then you can see like, okay, so it wasn't all for nothing, right? It wasn't like they had to suffer for thousands of years. And then not to say and then finally, one lifetime, they got to be rich. It wasn't about the money. But it was about that you unlock that next level of integrating this lesson on a wisdom, soul consciousness level, in order to be able to be a, a greater vessel to serve humanity. With this wisdom that's gained through this type of being forged through the fire of difficulty. So if you look at it that way, then you wouldn't say, "Oh, this is like this should not happen." How could you say something shouldn't happen? It's like if you're a child and you fall down. Oh, I don't want my kid to fall down. Well, that's how they learn how to walk. If they never fall down, they never learn how to get back up, right? So, like these are the things that when you start to see them from a different perspective, you say, "Oh, okay, so." even though it's like the most horrific thing, we'll call it like what I described, the Egyptian slavery and all the rape and everything. It's the most horrific thing. But let's just say, what if that experience guided those souls to become so much closer in the semblance of like true purity and divine godliness that they could actually come back to the earth and serve humanity in, in ways that wouldn't have been possible if they didn't have that experience directly. So then would you say that that was something that you know shouldn't have happened because it's atrocious? Or would you say, wow, what a blessing, first of all, that I made it through or that they made it through. And then secondly, the wisdom that I gained and the power that we have to get to a point where even if something's like so deeply damaging on a traum- traumatic soul level and physically and all all the levels, that you could get to a point where you literally integrate the lesson and the wisdom on so many dimensions that you can completely let it go and just actually be grateful for it and look back and be like, wow, it's like when you climb Mount Everest, and maybe almost died 20 times on the way but like you get to the top and you're like whoa like i made it like amazing i'm alive and i didn't die even though i almost died a lot and then and then you're like celebrate and like it's a, it unlocks a whole new level of your soul and your consciousness to have made it through such d- difficulty and to be able to have risen to that level and to to now have within you something that no one can ever take away which is this this eternal infinite power That you gain from knowing if I can make it through that, then I can make it through anything. And you just unlock this whole nother level of consciousness that isn't available to people who read about this in books or, you know, just meditate and kind of like somehow connect to spirit. But it's like there's there's a there's a pathway that leads you there that unlocks this depth that only comes from those experiences.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, I'm down for the eternal, infinite power. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That sounds fun. <laughs>
1: yeah, you got to get in on it. <laughs> you got to get in on it? <laughs> Everybody's got to get in on it.
0: <laughs> I'm trying to travel there.
1: <laughs> uh, what's available um, to everybody? All I'm saying is when you think about your challenges of life, and not, I'm just speaking from my experience, but like a, everybody has their own, right? Like the I think about Oprah because she was one of my hugest inspirations, and she had a similar thing but the black people had their own version of that as you know global slavery and they had a total version of it right so i have this very strong relationship to the black ancestry who had a similar journey but so but when i hear her speak and she says i don't stand alone in front of you i stand with 10,000 of my ancestors and i'm here today to be able to represent all 10,000 or million or however many you want to think of but I'm representing all my ancestors and I am never alone. And I'm so strong because we stand together. And now I stand on the shoulder of these and I'm going to gain from the wisdom that they had to experience those tragedies and the traumas and everything to get to so that I could be born and even the traumas that I had to experience so that I could gain the wisdom so that now I can be a vessel of God's wisdom and God's message of hope and peace and happiness and healing and that can only come through a human voice in this earth you know you can tune into god but like when you hear it from a voice of another person there's a direct relationship connection that you form at the heart level that you say oh wow this person has been through it too i'm not alone and that starts creating a thread of unity and like oneness consciousness that is so healing that it's necessary on this earth. So that's one of the reasons that souls had to get through all that and then come back and be the voice of that.
0: Okay. Does that make sense? I find, yeah, it, <laughs> it, at some level. <laughs> um, I'm really curious about this idea of. Almost like group trauma versus individual trauma, because maybe not trauma, but let's say karmic footprint that you're laying out here, you know, saying how in these group settings, there are certain lessons that groups go through due to whatever the factor might be. And I'm trying to wrap my head around how I try to look at the world from the most individualistic viewpoint possible you know, it's about the individual. It's not about the group. How does that almost relate to what we're talking about here in regards to, well, if the group did something, then it's the group that needs to reap what they sow as opposed to the individual?
1: Well, let me ask you, do you feel that there are soul groups that go through these common situations together? Do you agree
0: with that? I mean, well, I, I guess I don't really know. I definitely would agree that there are people who, like your situation, have had traumatic experiences in their lives that certainly align, right? Whether it's um, rape, poverty, you know, there's certainly people who fit those individual categories.
1: But I'm saying, like, for example, what is your ancestry, like your lineage? Do you know?
0: Uh, From Italy. I think I'm Ashkenazi Jew as well. Uh, it's like a small percentage. Um my mom's side of the family was in America for since like the new the revolutionary war and then my dad was Italian for I don't know how long thousands okay. of years
1: Okay so the Italians had their own thing right so they were on the other side because the Italians were you know they had Rome right they were the they were the like power of the planet for a while but their ego ruined it when they're like uh, they thought they were the thing and then they were and then kind of like what's happening with America lately like America used to the world power and then when you it's the same as the Jewish people like I'm the chosen one it's like when you think you're the king of the world that's when like God is gonna humble the whole group so then they lost all the power right they lost everything they like Rome got destroyed they were no longer the power and now although trust me I love Italians and I had some Italian boyfriends I always think like love italian guys they're great but like (laughs) the food everything is good about the culture but what i'm saying is that there was an element of ego that they had to get humbled on such a level that they went from world power and now they're not even in the top 10 in terms of we'll call it world power global economy the main thing they're known for is their food their tourism and um and their uh, fashion which is good those are all great but I'm saying they're not a world power on the level that they used to be number one and then they're not right so like they had to get humbled and it didn't I, I think it wasn't as deep as what happened with the Jewish ancestors with the slavery and the this I mean the black people and the and the Jewish had to go through it on a level that no not very many people did right but like there's other groups so we'll look at the Italian group And we just say, those guys had to go through it. They lost all their power. It's like somebody who's a billionaire and then they lose all their money. You know, it's just like humbling. Now you got to scrape it together, live with your sister or whatever, and you got to like figure it out. Well, that's humbling. It's not to the point where you have to do such a deep, I mean, you still have to do some deep soul work around, okay, my relationship to ego, my relationship to superiority, like oneness it's always leading back to the same thing which is if you have developed a superiority above others meaning you think you're above others you're the king so everybody else is like below that that is an ego imbalance so the soul is going to get humbled so that it can learn oneness oneness is nobody's above anyone else we're all souls Some are more, let's say, evolved or something. Some have learned certain lessons about wealth. Some have learned certain lessons about health. Some have learned certain lessons about property. But there's no like above or below in souls. Souls are all one energy. They're a soul. So like the learning of that, when the ego's too inflated, it gets humbled. So that's Mm. the the Italian, we'll call it heritage or ancestry, has had to learn that. And then they came back with still a lot of style and flair, you know, (laughs) so they didn't have to get humbled in, but it was still difficult. I think like the Italian people I know, you know, they, they know that they're, they're no longer the world power and they can feel that on an ancestral level. I feel that a lot of them want to come to the U S because the U S is the world power. Right. So then they still have this seeking of, I'm, I'm going to get back there anyway,
0: <laughs>
1: which is fine because in the end of the day, we're all ascending to a, the next, whatever the next level is. So, but it's like a knowing coming from like a humble place of like, I'm not the top, but I'm going to move to America. I'm going to climb to the top or the ones that are still in Italy, you know, they find their way, but it's basically learning that you have to work your way to get there. Whereas there was a time when they were just there.
0: This is the end of part one. Part two will be released in a couple of days where Doshima and I will talk about healing generational trauma. What does that even mean? What does it even mean to heal our ancestral trauma? How, whenever we are healing this trauma, are we able to look for the symptoms versus the root cause? And how do we know whenever we've healed the symptoms versus the root cause? And we then transition this entire flow of healing into finding oneness. How are we able to utilize yogic power in order to achieve oneness? And what does this oneness look like in samadhi? If you've never heard of samadhi, you'll be very interested in the next part. So I will see you guys in part two, which releases in a few days.